0: Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit for putting that on our hearts. I always think of Romans when we sing that song, Lord, that what can separate us from the love of God. Lord, thank you for, your, for the security and for, for just your love and grace. And the opportunity to come together and sing your praises. And Lord, thank you for just giving us that privilege of lifting your name up. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we have worshipped. And everyone said together, amen. amen and amen. Good morning, everyone. Amen. Oh, no, you never let go. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Listen, how many of you guys are football fans just like the game? Raise your hand up if you are. Okay, I see, I'm doing something here. It goes along with my study today. And... Um, How many are predicting um, the Niners to win today? Can you raise your hand? How many of you guys are predicting Reed? All right, we're going to see who the false prophets are. All right, all right. With all that being said, hmm, turn in our... Matthew chapter 24, as we study the last days, <laughs> if Reed Williams, this will be the last day. Anyway, Matthew chapter 24, we live in some exciting times, don't we gang? Man, yeah, for the believer it's exciting, for those that are not believers it should be a little frightening if, if you think about it, you know, and uh, and, uh, well, the next couple months, if my calculations are correct, we're going to be studying what we call eschatology. You know, just the coming of the Lord. And um, did you know that there's more in the Bible about the second coming uh, of the Lord? More of this about the second coming than um, being born again, eternal life. More about, there's more about the coming of Christ, the end of the world as we know it. More about that than um, even our own salvation. And so, and I don't know why. I, I mean, it could be something that's influenced from the enemy. I don't know. But it seems to be the subject that is the least studied for most people. But for the next couple months we're going to be studying that subject, and i had I have asked a buddy of mine um on march twenty second Don Stewart's going to come and we're going to, if, how many of you guys watch his channel Can you, his channel well, Don's on that quite a bit, and if you guys don't, you should just get on online and just you know plug in his channel and you'll be able to watch it, but they do a lot of end times prophecy updates and what's going on in the world, wars and, and pestilence, infectious diseases and such. And, uh, but March 22nd, and uh, we're going to make it an all-day thing, and uh, it's going to begin with Don teaching here, first and second service, and then we're going to have a session in the afternoon, and then I'm trying to get another speaker along with Don to do a Q&A Sunday evening. But I'm going to ask them to not just give us facts about prophecy, and but how do we, um, as Christians, followers of Christ, his disciples, how do we live our lives in the last day? As parents, how do you raise your kids in such a crazy society today, scripturally? And so I really believe it's something God's laid on my heart to do. I think the place is going to be packed out. Because I think a lot of people are a little nervous about public school about the vaccines about all this crazy stuff that's going on and the only place that we can get hope is from the word of god and so how do you have hope if you don't know the bible amen guys does that make sense anyway so for the next couple of weeks i'm going to just in a few weeks i'm going to just be doing uh, matthew there's going to be a couple studies in daniel there'll be a study in ezekiel and then when we get closer to March 22nd, we'll be wrapping up our, our couple months of eschatology. And so there you go. There you have it. So starting with verse 20, or chapter 24, Matthew 24, I believe I'm going to make the attempt to go to... And so let's just read up to that point there, and then we'll stand and pray. It says that Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple... Jesus said unto them, "See ye not all these things? Verily, I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall be not or shall be, be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, "Tell us, and there's really three questions here: when shall these things be, most likely the destruction of the temple? What shall be the sign of your coming?" They thought they had seen it that day. And then what's the sign of the end of the age? Better translation than world. Jesus answered and he said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive you. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence, infectious diseases, earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. They shall kill you and shall be, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. And shall betray one another, shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto the nation. And then shall the end come. And when ye therefore shall see the abominations of desolation spoken by the pro, or Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house, neither let In the field return back or to return back to to get his clothes and woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days, nursing moms. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be and except those days should be sure. Shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were even possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you where uh, wherefore they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not forth behold lo he's in secret chambers believe it not for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shines even to the west so shall also the son of man or the son of man be let's stand together with bible in hand and pray together father again thank you for the privilege to be together as a church family and to study your word and it is kind of sobering that over 300 times we see this subject of the return of Jesus the end days uh, the time of Jacob's trouble times times and a half a time Lord the word is so saturated with warnings even for the church there's a warning To keep our lamps trimmed and burning. That you're coming in an hour that we don't know for the church. Only the Father in heaven. And you tell us to be ready to occupy. That's about the warning for the church. But for the rest of the world. So many other prophecies about what's going to come on the face of this earth one day. For the sole purpose of gathering your people back to their to reestablish your nation, your city. Father, again, thank you for just the, the desire to want to know about prophecy. Give us ears to hear, Lord, and hearts to receive what the Spirit wants to place in our hearts this morning. And we'll always be careful to ask this in your name everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Again, I there will probably be some cross-referencing throughout this study. Um, there's a lot that I, I, I want to say. It's going to be more on a lecture-type thing than more of an exhorting, preaching kind of be-ready, turn-or-burn kind of thing. Um, because I really think that we need to know this. We have to understand, you know, and and we have to have conviction about the second coming of Christ. And why? Because, you know, a belief is something you can always alter. A belief is something, you can change your belief, you know, if somebody can convinc- can convince you. But a conviction is something different. A conviction is something that, You know, you'll stand your ground. And if need be, you would even die for our conviction, our beliefs in Christ, you know, our our, our theology on salvation. That will never alter, you know, and we'll stand for that. Well, I really believe that for the believer, the Christian who studies the truth, who studies the word, they should have a conviction about where they stand. Where do you stand as a Christian when it comes to the tribulation? Where do you stand when it comes to the rapture, the harpazo of the church, the catching away of the church? Where do you stand on that? You need to have a position. You cannot just think, you know, hey, we'll just let it all, you know, pan out. We'll be pantheologists. It'll all pan out. Not when it comes to this, gang. Because I'll tell you, if you believe that Jesus could come back, Before the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation, then you're looking for him today. And you're waiting for him today. And you know the warning that those who are uh, that are waiting lifestyle that we live. It tells us that he who has that hope, he purifies his life there's an awareness there's a consciousness that he could come any moment any day and you know you don't want to be goofing off as a believer as a follower of Jesus Christ you want to be you want to live your life like any second you could be standing before and with this long introduction there's no way I'm going to get done 27 verses here but uh, but you need to understand that w- So why would the believer want to be goofing off still smoking dope or somebody still living in sexual fornication or someone who is just ready to divorce? Why would you want to go through that if you think Jesus could come back at any moment? Now, the person who really believes that he's in the word, he's examining his life. The Greek word to examine is dial It literally means he's always scrutinizes his life and the way he's living for. Leave it all over. You know, search within me, Lord. See if there's any impurities or if any fault within me. This message that we go into today, Matthew 24, is called the Olivet Discourse. And really, Jesus is going to provide a summary of, of the end-time events and the future of the world, you know. Uh, we're going to see things um, that's going to... Um, ho- hopefully cause us to rejoice. Subjects on the rapture is going to be mentioned. The second coming of Christ. And by the way, they're two entirely different things. The rapture is not the second coming of Christ. And I have heard Christians say, oh, the second coming is when Jesus takes his church from the earth. It is not. Jesus does not touch down, <laughs> you know, at the, at the rapture of the church. He brings us up to him. Into the first heavens, I believe, but he never touches down and we're going to read about that even today. And so, you know, we're going to contemplate about the wrath of God and and the hope that you and I can share with a world that's out there that's totally oblivious. To any kind of eschatology, and let's try not always use the fancy words. Just, but they're 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 totally, you know, in the dark when it comes to uh, a a second coming, a rapture of the church, and that God is going to call one day call His bride home, you know. And so again, we'll be thinking about it, contemplating about it. We're going to be examining our hearts through the next month or so when it comes to prophecy and and such. As far as an introduction to all this, prophetically speaking, Israel is going to be the center of the world in our study on, on prophecy. Jerusalem is going to be the center of Israel, or, and, and then the center of Jerusalem will be the temple. That is going to be ground zero when it comes to um, the end days. That's where everything is going to end, and and there, Jesus is talking to his disciples. I'm setting the setting here um, on the Mount of Olives, uh, uh, the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. Uh, at this time, I don't know if you've seen modern pictures of the, the, te- the temple area. Um, there is what they call the Dome of the Rock up there. And there was no Dome of the Rock during this teaching. There was the temple, uh, Jewish temple. It's probably, the, not probably, I know this as fact. It's the east side of the Kindred Valley. I'm just trying to give you a geographic kind of picture of 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 this area lovely place to go and visit by the way how many many of you people been to Israel Kenya oh I would love to do a church trip and take all you guys but it but it's it's so expensive ridiculous my first trip over there to Israel back in the 90s was $900 you can't touch that trip now for what about six grand Per person, so if any of you guys got twelve thousand dollars because husband you 're not going to go without your wife. you know it is one time we went with sick I just told everybody buy a ticket i 'll meet in Jerusalem, so we backpacked it all through the israel we just it was a great time, but it 's a lovely place to visit, and if you can do that trip, God, you should do it. Um, but it's a place that, you know, I always thought if I ever had to relocate it, that's where I would go. I would live, I would live in the old Jewish quarters. I'm telling you, hang out with all the ascetic Jews and, (laughs) but anyway. Um, but that's just the picture of that. And Jerusalem is going to be the center, uh, of, of these teaching of prophecy, the, the message on prophecy. So you, we're going to read a lot about Jerusalem. You know, someone asked me the other day, well, how is, um, the United States in the last days. I don't know. I'm going to leave that to the big guns. We can ask Don Stewart those kind of questions, and you know, I'm tr- I'm even going to try to put a, to a call into my pastor be here that Sunday. So let's see how it all plays out. Um, but ask those guys, you know, if you if, if during Q and A, where is America in in prophecy? Um, I don't find it in a, in Zachariah I think I see it. Uh, we're on the sideline. The country is on the sideline. You and I, we won't be here. Amen? Uh, The church won't be here. Um, But America, I think, is mentioned, but not just blatantly and out-in-your-face kind of thing. So geographically, we we just... we know Jerusalem is going to be kind of in the center of this. Ezekiel chapter 5 verse 5 says this. This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all around her. So geographically, she's going to be the center. Um, as far as salvation, and when it comes to salvation during the seven years, she is going to be the center of it all. And uh, again, it says in um, John chapter 4, verse 22, if you remember that dialogue um, between the woman at the well and Jesus, he says this in John four twenty-two. he says, you worship what you do not know. And these, by the way, are all out of the New King James. Says You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. Salvation is of the Jews and it's and it will be even during the seven years and it will take place there in the center of Jerusalem. We know that it will be the storm center for the world. Jerusalem will be Zechariah chapter 12 verse 3 says, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all people. And uh, and again, the world right now, right now, and will be during the seven years of tribulation, there's this idea to get rid of Israel. That right now, that, that even Jerusalem is sort of like a stone of stumbling for the nations that even today, you know, let's get, but why? Why is it such a sore spot? Because for most part, people that are in the world, he's speaking today, they believe. Israel is blocking world peace the, it, the world today thinks if we could just get rid of israel get rid of get rid of the jews that nonsense look what our president had done just recently in the turmoil about making you know our embassy in in, in jerusalem personally i thought it was a great move you know, it's just going to bring the coming of Christ that much sooner. Be that as it may, it's still going to be a cup of trembling for the world. And it will be the center for the storms. As far as the glory, God is going to use Jerusalem as the center, the the, the epic of his glory. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, now it shall come to pass in the latter days That the mountain of the Lord's house, we're talking about Zion, we're talking about the temple mount. He goes on and it says this shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will flow to it. Man, all eyes are f- f- uh, fixed on that tiny little piece of real estate today. And during the seven years of tribulation, man, everybody's going to be watching. CNN is going to have their headquarters there. And again, probably not fake news. It's going to be real news because the two prophets are going to rise from the dead and every eye is going to see it. You guys excited about this stuff, man? Okay. I I am and the older I get, the more excited I get about it. So we're looking in this passage, we're looking through the Jewish lens. All through this, the ideology and the verb is, it's all Jewish. It's nothing to do with Gentiles. He's talking to his disciples. He's going to mention about the Sabbath. He's going to be talking about the Jews. He's going to be talking about the way that even their homes are built. built that way today, if you were ever to visit Jerusalem. We, again, we call it the Olivet Discourse because this is where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's going to talk about their future. He's going to talk about the Jews. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about world events. You know, the coming of his, you know, the future of his coming. No, so that's my intro. <laughs> Verse 1. <laughs> okay. And Jesus went out. He departed from the temple. His disciples came to him and showed him the buildings of the temple. Notice buildings, not just the temple. Jesus said to them, look, see, not, see ye not all these things. Don't you see these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now look. When we read Mark's account of this, this, this account, by the way, is in Mark chapter 13, if you want to kind of do a little homework on this. Mark 13. Now, now, what the disciples are pointing out to our Lord is the massiveness, if that's a word, how massive the stones were. Don't Look at these stones. I mean, they were blown away by what Jesus had just said. Jesus had just said, not one stone will be left upon another stone. And if you can, in your mind's eye, think of the disciples for a moment. And they're looking at the the massive stones before them and they're looking at him. And so they're probably whispering to one another. And this is where the song came from. This is the end of the world as we know it. They really thought that that's what it would take to tear apart these buildings and these stones and how massive it was. So let me give you a little history on the temple. Why is all this important? Well, because it's going to be reconstructed again. In fact, even today, and this is so exciting to me, they're trying to do it today. I, I And I'll touch on that in just a second. The construction of this uh began roughly around... 20 BC or so, uh, it was completed there. Some believe completed, some believe not so completed that it was still under construction, but completed in 6 AD 64. It took 18,000 men and 80 years to build this structure. Some again don't, don't believe that when in 70 AD that it was completely, but probably 99.9% that it was. Literally, it was a huge mountain built on a huge mountain with a complex on it. So 36 of the acres were kind of leveled to build the structure. Now, the structure itself with the outer court was roughly about 13 acres. Now, can you see this in your mind? It's like walking past one of our stadiums and saying, hey, tomorrow it's going to be leveled. Or equivalent to this, if you walk past the Twin Towers in 01 and saying, "Just guess what, this afternoon this thing is going to be down to the ground, you would think, well, it's going to have to be attacked. There's going to have to be an explosion. It's going to be the end of the world if somebody tries to down our world tower. That's exactly what was going through their minds. That this is, this is going to be all torn down? that the whole 36 acres and the 13 acres are just going to be in rubble. Um, there was a retaining wall. The retaining wall. The retaining wall had had um, some of the stones, again, weighed up to almost um, 140 tons. 140 tons. Imagine the weight of it. The retaining wall would go around the the, the mount there and uh, the southeast corner rose up to about 158 feet. The, I'm only talking about the retaining wall. Um, the proper of the temple went another 90 above that. The pinnacle, by the way, is where Jesus was led to during the, the hours of his temptation. If you remember, he was tempted with three temptation: turn the stone into bread, you know, and such. But, but it, that's where Satan began to, to tempt him and to say, listen, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. Doesn't the word say that was right at the place that was 158 feet above ground? It tells us in Matthew chapter four, verse six, he says, if you're the son of man, throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their minds, they shall their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone matthew chapter 4 verse 6 again the temple proper went up another 90 feet just to kind of give you an idea of the exterior of the building It said it was made with marble and some of the marble overlaid with gold. The doors of acacia and cedar all overlaid with gold. So much gold that one today cannot calculate the value, the worth of all. It said in the Babylonian Talmud that if you've never seen Herod's temple, and by the way, designer and architect builder was Herod. He is the one who built this temple. In the Babylonian uh, Talmud, it said if you've never seen Herod's temple, you've never seen a temple at all. We know that individual stones weighed up to, and I'm talking about the, um, the the proper, about 400 tons. It's an estimation. The destruction of it came in 70 AD. This is where Titus had learned. He was, he had a campaign going on in Syria. He had heard that there was a revolt and that some of the Jews were coming against the Roman garrisons there. And so Titus gets back there. He destroys roughly around 80,000 Jews just going through the Galilean area to get to Jerusalem. There's over a million Jews that will be slaughtered at, in 70 AD. And Titus, Aspasian, this Roman Uh, general, he pleaded with the Jews to come out and to give up and they would not. He goes, well, then let's take this to an open field. Let's just battle the soldier on soldier and let your children, your wives live. And they refused. Flavius Josephus says that the blood flowed so quick down the alleys that some of the blood went into, into homes and put out their fires. Just the the destruction. This is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. When he came in that very day. The day that he gives this Olivet Discourse. He cries out to Jerusalem. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. If you had only known this was your hour. But you would not. They didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't study Daniel. Or they would have known. That this was coming. We're going to see um again where it says that they just didn't understand the scriptures it is told by the historians mainly by josephus he has a book out on the wars the jewish wars where you can learn all this if you're into history that what had happened he uh, uh, titus said do not destroy that temple but because of 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 the roman law see the roman soldiers knew that the roman law is no matter what campaign they entered they had To the spoil. And even Titus couldn't bring charges against them. It was part of what they called their solarium. They would get a, a pouch of salt... For their wounds to preserve their meat and such. We won't make a study out of that. But also part of their solarium was the spoils of war. So when they finally went in, somebody threw a torch and set the temple on fire. Imagine the, the veil in the temple catching on. The heat was so great, the gold melted in between the crevices of the rocks. Those, just imagine today, they still don't know how they got those stones in place. 400 tons. Some, by the way, we call it the rabbinical tunnel. You can get down into the rabbinical tunnel today and see the massive stones that are still there today. And someone once told me years and years ago that you could never put a knife blade through any of the cracks of those stones. And so I went down there to check it out. And it is true. They are so cut precisely, stick your penknife through a crack of one of the walls. No one knows how they did it. Because it was all for human energy, human force. It's not like we had; they had cranes and dozers. It's just an amazing thing. In fact, it is said, if they didn't stop the wonders of the world, like cut it off at seven, uh, seven of them, some of Herod's architects, things that he built, would be listed in the wonders of the world today. Just amazing about it. So the soldiers were... Lit it on fire. And it is even said today, and I, and I really believe it, and, and again, the historians will say, that the destruction was so great, you couldn't even tell where the temple once stood. Stones were toppled over and moved. It must have taken years to do this. But even today, they, the, the scholars, you know, those who study the Temple Mount, they still can't tell where this thing stood. There's ideas where it might have stood because we do find up on the temple mount a thrashing floor where they kind of um, thrash wheat. They know where the dome of the spirits are and where the dome of the rocks so are. They make their calculations, but no one can even found a find, it, find a foundation to it. That's how it was destroyed. And when he Jesus prophesied to them that your house will be left unto you desolate, talk about desolation. The word desolate means Empty. So empty, you won't even know where it used to stand. Just amazing. But one day, it will be constructed again. And I'll show that to you in just a second. Verse 3 says this, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? and again the disciples inquiring you know what what's going to be the sign now he really doesn't address that he doesn't address the first question what's going to be the signs of your coming you know because what they're thinking about they're thinking about this this deliverer you know like it's going to be in just a couple days from now because that's exactly what they were singing earlier in that morning Hosanna to the King! Save us now! They would sing, "Son of David." The, the, you see, the it 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 is talking about his coming. The parousias in the Greek it literally means an appearing or a personal appearing. You know, we think of the second coming as as that uh, that appearance to the world again, but they were thinking about his first coming. You know, it suggests that they thought it was going to happen that day, possibly. Maybe in a couple days. You know, that he would present himself as a ruler, as a king, as a conquering Messiah. And that is the reason he spoke a parable in Luke chapter 19. Let me just read verse 11 to you. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. And here's the reason he would speak the parable. It's not going to be a study on the parable, but the reason. He said this. They thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And that's the reason for Luke 19, verse 11. He has to tell them a parable. He's trying to convey to them, there's a difference between my first coming and my second coming. He tried with all of his heart, tried to tell his disciples and his followers, I am coming to be crucified. I mean, at the end of his life, the last day of his life, a weak part of me, he would tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem. It tells us he set his face a flint, meaning that he purposed within, in his heart that he was going to Jerusalem, that he was going to die, he was going to be handed over and be persecuted and die on the cross. But then he says, but I don't fret it, I'm going to rise from the dead again. He spelled it out to them, but they didn't get it. They didn't get it because of the indoctrination. And I don't mean in a mean way. I don't mean in a negative way. But if you were raised in a religious home all your life and you were just taught one thing over and over and over, you went to your rabbinical school and they taught you over and over and over. You listened to the greatest rabbi teaching, Gamaliel and Hillel. And he said, no, our king is coming. He's going to remove the Roman yoke. He's going to return the scepter back to Judah. And here comes a man who performs miracles and he's taught like no one's ever taught and he's at, he has authority like no one has ever had. He's got to be, this has got to be his first coming. And I, that's why I fear people. I fear, I, I'm concerned, pardon me. The you know, people who are raised in, in a religious setting, they've been raised a certain denomination, they've been in Sunday school, in and out every Sunday. They, they, they're, they're, devotions with mom and dad, but they're just, they're indoctrinated over one theology, one churchology, one ideology. And then when you, they come to a church like this and they start talking about Jesus is coming back, gonna rot, they go, what? No, the world's progress, it's gonna get better. Jesus, there's always been wars. There's always been pestilence. There's always, been- and that's the argument today. That he's not literally going to come back in a, you know, a second coming. There's not going to be a literal tribulation. We're in the middle of the tribulation. We're in the middle of the millennial reign. And it's just false teaching. And it's rampant today. Anyway. Again, they had thought the triumphal entry that morning was his glorious his glorious appearing. See, they had an eschatology. Like you and I have an eschatology. See, their eschatology was based on a time of turmoil. And they believed that time of turmoil was just the Roman government, Roman control. They believed that there would be a forerunner, that they would have an Elijah. And they thought it was in John the Baptist. So in their mind, they're kind of like in between John the Baptist, the forerunner, and then this first appearance, this coming. And what they were looking for after that was... The return from the diaspora, the scattering—that people were going to come back to Jerusalem. That was their eschatology. See, ours is a little different. See, the of the coming of the Lord starts with that Jesus is going to come, but he's going—he's going to come towards the earth, but bring us up to him and to meet him, as Corinthians puts it, to meet him in the air. See, we—we—he doesn't come back to the earth at the rapture. We we are caught up. Now, Corinthians says we will be changed. That word changed, metamorphosis. It means there's a changing from within outwardly. That we're going to be fashioned. Paul also will be fashioned to the likeness of his body. So whatever Jesus took on after his resurrection, you and I are going to have the same thing. And we'll meet him. In the, and then we're going to be ushered into the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb. Seven years, I believe, around a table with Jesus. A huge table. Remember that song, In My Father's House? I never get where we can play football, though. I never did get that lyric on that song, where we can play football. Just saying. But we will go to our Father's house. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 14, where there are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, I will come and I will receive you to myself. I will pull you up. The word to be caught up in Thessalonians... Chapter 4, verse 17, for it's just, you know, takers, the word to be caught up is the word where we get in the Greek language, harpazo. It literally does mean a violent snatching away. I don't like to use the word violent because it sounds violent. But it just means major whiplash. Beaming up. A nanosecond. Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. Could happen right now. It could happen at any moment. Oh, Harry Things has got to get a lot more. Well, it could, but it, the Bible doesn't say it, it has to reach a certain degree or tip a certain scale. It tells us to be ready for that catching up. They tried to translate that word harbazo into the Latin raptoris, where we get the word to be raptured. The critics are right. There is no such word as rapture in your Bibles. But there is a word called harpazo, which means a very quick snatching away. Jesus also said that when he does come, he will touch, well, Zacharias, pardon me, says that he will touch the Mount of Olives. Tells us in, in Zachariah, it's also that the east will split from the west. Stay with me. This, that the east will split. Now see, this is what, this is just a personal thing that I think is going to happen. Because of this, 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 this earthquake, between, uh, right through the Mount of Olives, because Jesus touches it. Touchdown. If you, even the, ...to study geographic and, 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 and fault lines uh, in the earth. They said there's a fault line that runs from the Mediterranean Sea right towards the Dead Sea. And I find that very intriguing. Because if this opens up, that means the Dead Sea will run right into... I mean, the Mediterranean Sea will run right into the Dead Sea. And it tells us that the Dead Sea is going to bring forth life. Right now, nothing can grow in the Dead Sea. It's over 80% mineral. But that tells us that it will open up and in, in, in spring forth life. Could it be too, it would be the birth of the Garden of Eden again? I, I don't know. My mind's going a little weird with this. But I do know that Zechariah says that. And even in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, when when Jesus is ascending up in, into heaven, going to his heavenly Father, it says this. You men of Galilee, why are you standing up, gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He goes. And all the disciples are going, wait a minute, where's the new kingdom? You know, and they're going up, they're still confused. And he says, why are you gazing up? The same Jesus that went up will come back, same spot, in the same manner, and touch down on the Mount of Olives. We are told in chapter 4, Jesus answered and said unto them that no man deceive you. He's looking at his disciples. He's looking at Jewish men. Don't let anyone deceive you. Many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now you notice that he said many will come in my name. So there will be the I call them the precursors commercials of the Antichrist. The Antichrist. You know, anti, the one who is opposing Christ, the real Christ. He's going to be a a ruler who emerges during the tribulation period, probably right shy of that halfway mark, three and a half years. He's really going to come. I mean, he exists, but nobody's going to go, aha, he is the Antichrist. See, the Antichrist isn't going to have one of these handlebar mustaches with a sinister look, aha, you know. Oh, he is going to deceive so many people. In fact, that's what it says. uh, That says, I am Christ and shall deceive many. We read that in verse 5 here. We also read it again in in verse 11. Deception. At the beginning of the tribulation period, there's going to be such great, great deception. Please let me have your eyes for a minute. I'll read a a cross-reference to you in in a minute. But there are going to be many false Christs. There's going to be a lot of antichrists. There's going to be a lot of deception. But the thing that breaks my heart, and I see it through the church today, this deception is so great that it will deceive many. And I pray for you. Often. That your nose is in the word. That you're not listening to some idiot on the TV or the radio that says things that are contrary to the Word of God, that you're not deceived. The Millennial Church today, I'm not saying all of them, some of them have genuine hearts, some of them love Jesus, I watch how they worship, but their main theology today is, it's Reformed. Many of them believe that they're in the Tribulation today, and they're just waiting for it to get better and better and better. These dear people are having Bible studies in bars. They're thinking it's A-OK just to live you know, in sexual sin. We're in the millennium. And they're so deceived. I don't even get angry at it anymore. My heart breaks. Because what we're going to see, the second coming is in the future. That there's a future temple that's going to be constructed because of the antichrist the antichrist that we read about in revelation he will take up his place in that temple that doesn't exist today but he will be a ruler who emerges from the tribulation he's going to be it's going to be he will be world-dominating he will have power over the globe. And again, just coming to my mind, we just we just finished Revelation not too long ago in, in on Wednesday night. But the Antichrist is going to come across as a man of peace. He's going to have a little pin with a double. And everybody's going to think, hey, peace and safety. But the Bible says, man, be warned. When they say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction. In the middle of that three and a half year, the Antichrist is going to break off all treaties with Israel and and then the temple is going to be desecrated, which by the looks of that clock I'm not going to get to that point yet, but that's what's going to happen he's going to break off with everyone and he was he's going to come across as a very evil supernatural with great oratory and again he's going to deceive. Many. He will be very charismatic. Now see, there's gonna be many. There's gonna be many. This is what this is what John said in first John chapter two verse eighteen. Little children, he's addressing the church. It is the last hour. See, see, even the apostle taught about the intimate return of Jesus Christ. They really thought it could happen in their day. Paul the Apostle even told young men, look, Jesus is coming back. Don't even bother getting married. To stay flexible, usable for the kingdom, you know. But if you can't handle this teaching, then, you know, go ahead and get married. Paul taught, taught that Jesus Christ could come back. And, and it, you know, but look at today. Look at the prophecies that have been fulfilled. You know, I, I don't know what Paul thought about the regathering of Israel because that didn't happen in 28. And again, we'll touch on that in another study. The rebirth of Israel. The reclaim of Jerusalem, nineteen sixty seven, the war of Yom Kippur in seventy eight, all the miracle wars, is Israel has defeated their enemies by the by the power of God's hand. But he says in the last hours you had heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. I think the precursor of the Antichrist is false teaching. It's manipulated and falsified testimonies that never happen just to deceive people. And you have to be on your toes and on guard in these days. And you have to watch out for many will be deceived. He goes on, by which you know that it is the last hour, last days. The proliferation of the Antichrist in the future. Listen, let me tell you, tell you this. Whenever God's at work. Satan is going to heighten his activity. He always has and he always will. If there's a move of God in your life personally, you can rest assured Satan isn't going, lost that guy. No, he's going to bring more things into your life, into your ear gate, into your eye gate, that will filter down into the place of residence, your heart. And then you'll start to... You've got to be careful what we listen to. We have got to be careful what we set our eyes on. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is our three worst enemies for us. Satan's not our enemy. Satan's not our enemy. I mean, he is. But he's been defeated. What I battle the most in these days that I live is the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the eyes. Just wanting, wanting, wanting. Not knowing how to be content in all things as Paul the Apostle had beautiful. Just looking at things and desiring things and wanting more things. Paul the Apostle said that one thing he has learned through all the tribulation and persecution, this is one thing he's learned. No matter what state I find myself in, I find myself content. Be content, Christian, in these days that we live. Be happy. Be blessed. God's not done with you. If you're going through the trial, you don't, you don't ask for to be delivered from your trial. Start to pray for Stronger back, not a lighter load. Stronger back, not a lighter load. Because according to Paul in Romans, the, all the, that patience that's developed by persecution and all that, it's just going to create more Christ likeness in your life. Look at verse 6 for me. It says, You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. He's encouraging them not to be troubled. And the same thing with you. You know, in the days that we live, we hear of some of this crazy stuff on the news and who is trying to obtain a nuclear um program, who is trying to get an who has a nuclear weapon and is threatening the great dragon and the and the and the smaller dragon, you know, who has those weaponry? Think about biological warfare and all this stuff, and now we're so great we have a new branch of the military that exists now in in, in space. And I, when I start to hear about things like this i 'm not fearing for my life, you know, hey, listen, I got a big X on my house. If a newcomer I wanted to hit right there, get me out of here, but I fear for my kids, and my grandchildren Should not fear, not phobia i 'm so concerned i 'm so concerned for your kids, our Sunday school. every kid that 's in public school and the indoctrination they're going through today. I fear for it. I looked at my grandson the other day and how long he was on his phone. And I just, I didn't get angry. I said, oh my goodness, look how much time he puts on that thing. We're living in the last days. This generation don't, won't, will not even know how to talk to another person. Won't even know how to communicate. Anyway. So. Rambling on. But there will always be wars and rumors of war. I get that. But he says, look, don't be troubled. For all these things, they have to come to pass. But the end is not yet. Verse 7. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There's going to be famines. Listen, I Googled it. There's too much to put before you. And again, we'll deal with the whole thing at another time. But famine, pestilence, meaning infectious diseases, and that should bring some antennas up today, huh? earthquakes in all weird, the most weird places. If we had an earthquake here in New Jersey, I don't mean a tremor, but if we had one that just just reorganized the whole coastline, I think we would be a little alarmed, wouldn't we? Could it happen? What would happen in the Delaware Valley? What would happen in the Hudson Bay? You know? What would happen? Listen, I know wars... Has marked out human history. Something I found kind of interesting. Only 8% of human history. Has ever experienced. Peace. 8%. If you go to. 3600 BC. To the present. Humanity. Has had about 14,500 wars. 3.6 3.6 billion people killed. Total proper damage if you combined all those wars together. Now look, I'm not trying to be a killjoy here or a joy kill, whatever it is. But if you were to look at all the property damage, cities that were annihilated, torn down because of war, you could take a band of gold 100 feet wide and 30 feet, 33 feet tall And wrap it around the world. That's how much damage war has caused. You know, Daniel talked about till, and I'll just, this will be my closing thought here, that Daniel 9, verse 36, I'll just read a section, till the end of the war, desolations are determined. There's going to be so many wars that happens during the, um, the tribulation time. The mother of all wars will be, of course, the war of Armageddon, the Greek for Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo. Been there, looked at it. It's just amazing. And it's very sobering to look at that valley and to think one day our Lord is going to put use a hook. And put it in the jaws of these different nations and pull them down into a valley to fight against Israel. And Israel will stand alone. United States will not be involved in it. We would today. With our president that's in power now, we would come to their aid. But not, not during this war of all wars, man. You know, it tells us in Revelations chapter 6, verse 4. Another horse, a fiery horse, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to to take peace from the earth. The people should kill one another, and there was a great sword. See in the beginning of the book of Revelation, John sees these four horsemen. the first horseman guy comes riding in on a white horse, and at first, when you're reading it, you think, "Wow, white horse, the guy that sat on it, he's got bows he's got you know." But that horse marks deception that the world is going to be totally deceived at first. And what followed that horse here in chapter 6, verse 4, is a red horse. And he is the presents war. And he will kill and he'll keep killing and killing. You know, when you read about the the scrolls and then you read about uh, the trumpets and then you read about um, the bowls that are poured out, uh, different series of judgments, series of, of seals when they're loo- uh, loo- loosened. The first wa- wave of destruction will be one-third of the world's population dying. Now I don't know if you can even imagine what that's going to be like. One-third of the world's population. You know, that would be equivalent to, to well, a few years ago, uh, it would be um, Canada, America... And most of South America. Today, with the world's population being, I think, what, 6.7 billion? Something like that. It would also include part of Europe. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. But see, guys, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you stand. You know, I'm I'm hoping you're all, you know, the Lord is your personal Savior. You're born again. You know, you can't teach this with a... um, a heart of joy there, uh, soberness you know i'm very sober i'm like it's alarming to me when i see the church and where it's heading not our church i'm talking about Christendom. um when i just see what's happening with the media our entertainment our entertainment you know you can't even watch a movie anymore you know, without turning away from it or whatever but the reason I say that I went and saw a movie the other day with Irm. It was called uh, nineteen seventeen i'm I'm really intrigued with some of these movies about the the wars and such, and I love what listening watching documentaries, all the different wars and but I'm more concerned about why they were started and how they ended. Because if you if you look at that you look at that movie at the end there's this young man who just at the end of the movie just walked over to a tree and he sat down. And you thought, where is there any hope in this? Where is there any hope for a future? You think of the fifty eight thousand men that died during Vietnam just in battle, many more after that. Think of the Civil War. How many people died? All, all the wars combined, more people died in the Civil War. And then think about the Korean War. Now we're kind of hitting home. My father-in-law was in Korea. My brother served in Vietnam. But this is where the war, this is where the world is heading to a very confrontational, conflict world. Conflicting. But it's all going to start it's all going to, the hub of it, Crown Zero, will be around Jerusalem. Keep watching. If you're truly wise, let's stand together. If you could, I know we're running late today and I so apologize, but listen, it's just, this is. This is my introduction for the next couple of months. <laughs> would you bow your heads for me just a second? Hey, let's start this thing off this way, gang. If if you would, if you're in need of prayer, maybe something in this teaching stirred your heart and You know, I started by saying, you know, this is that we shouldn't be goofing off. And if you feel in your heart that's that's been you, you've been just taking everything so lightly, your relationship with the Lord, or maybe you don't even know the Lord in a personal way. If that's you, would you just raise your hand real quick so I can pray for you? Father, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for the hope that you put within our lives. We thank you so much, Lord, for that hope of of you coming to receive your church to yourself. And Lord, ultimately, the whole seven years of tribulation, drawing your people to yourself, the Jewish nation. We know that in the last days that Israel and Jerusalem will be a a couple, a cup of trembling. But for your church, you told us to, to be vigilant. You told us to keep our lamps trimmed and burning and to always watch because we don't know when our bridegroom comes. That we should always be ready for that trumpet to be blast, for that calling of your bride to yourself, to be ushered, Lord, into into Your glory around the Supper of the Lamb. Oh Lord, please. For all all of us here, fill us with Your Holy Spirit. Fill us with that hope. And we'll always be careful, our Lord. We'll always be careful to ask these things in Your precious name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm afraid we're going to have to cut it there cuz the last time I went over our Sunday school <laughs> the teachers were going to... anyway god bless you guys. in god's grace have a blessed blessed week amen sorry buddy it's all good i don't <laughs> want to. i get two three extra yeah. it's perfect today. Yeah. Right? yeah yeah i got it it's a... oh yeah, yeah.